Hi, my name is Ruth Kilongo and I would like to welcome you to my very first episode of Diaspora Conversations. My first guest is Dr. Paul Tiambe Zeleza. Dr. Zeleza is a current Vice Chancellor and Professor of Humanities and Social Sciences at the United States International University Africa, which is in Nairobi, Kenya. He is a distinguished academic, award-winning author, one of Africa's leading diaspora intellectuals, who has held senior administrative positions in higher education in Canada and the United States. His research project on the African academic diaspora led to the establishment of the Carnegie African Diaspora Fellowship Program that sponsors African-born academics in the United States and Canada to work in universities in African countries. May I also say that he's my mentor, and when I thought of starting this podcast, there was no one else I wanted to be my first guest. So when he told me he was coming to New York in September last year, I went to meet with him. And this is the dialogue that we had. You will hear Cajon's in the background. Those are the actual sound effects for being in New York. I hope you'll enjoy them as well. Welcome. Thank you so much for giving me your time. Um, So I, I just wanted to ask you some questions about you know diaspora african diaspora um it, because it's not just you know i'm an african diaspora you are mm-hmm. but there's so many definitions right. so i just wanted to just talk a little bit with you about that and tell me more about your journey um you are an african diaspora um how did you become one right. <laughs> what's so, been your experience yeah. yeah so yeah first of all thank you for the opportunity to talk with you about yeah. uh, something that is very, very close to my heart, yeah. namely trying to understand ourselves as uh, diasporans. Yeah. Uh, so my diaspora experience, uh, like uh, many other people, mm-hmm. uh, started with uh, leaving my own home country, mm-hmm. which I did in 1977, mm-hmm. and at uh, that time, uh, you know, running away uh, from a dictatorship. I, of course, originally going to study. Yeah. Uh, and then um, ended up uh, living in different countries, you know, uh, the United Kingdom, you know, Jamaica, Kenya, Canada. Do you count Kenya as diaspora? Well, <laughs> it's a kind of yeah. You, you can you, in terms of defining diasporas, mm-hmm. uh, you can define it, of course, at multiple levels. Yeah. One is uh, people who are outside the continent. Yeah. You know, th- those are you know um, diasporas, but also they are you know intra-African diasporas. So if you're from Malawi, you live in Kenya, you are Malawian diaspora in Kenya. That's true. You know, yeah. So I've had uh, that experience of both being an you know, uh, intra-African diaspora, mm-hmm. but also the extra-continental uh, diaspora. Diaspora, yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. Uh, and what's been your experience? The experience has you know, been uh, fascinating, uh, both, of course, uh, the challenges, but also the opportunities. The challenges are in, is that of you have to adjust your life, both personal and professional, mm-hmm. in, a, in a different context. Mm-hmm. And you, you have to try to make sure that you understand where you find yourself. Uh, and of course, uh, that, that, that can be you know, difficult, but it's also an opportunity because you're growing. Yeah. You know, you, you're you know, extending yourself and you're meeting new experiences, new people. Yeah. And certainly for, for us as Africans, I think it helps us to become more Pan-African. Mm-hmm. In the sense that you're meeting people from different, different African countries, if you're in the UK or you know Canada or uh, the United States, in my own case, and also the opportunity to meet the historic African diaspora, you know those people 
of African descent that have been in these countries for hundreds of years. Yes. Yeah. So, so one, one thing I learned from your work, and I was watching um, your videos. Mm-hmm. Um, I should have done this a long time ago, by the way. Mm-hmm. But um, it's you talk about African diaspora, not just those who left the continent, like we did, mm-hmm. uh, but people who came here way sometimes mm-hmm. before the slave trade, right, right. Uh, or the ones who came through, mm-hmm. and not only the U.S., you know, mm-hmm. the Americas, mm-hmm. um, across the Indian Ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, is that something we don't know about? Yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah. You know, p- partly you know uh, because uh, I think in African countries yeah. we don't teach enough about the history of Africans globally. Okay. Um, and also because uh, I think a lot of our governments are focusing on uh, remittances, you know. Yes. And when they think of remittances, the tendency is to think of the uh, recent uh, migrants yeah. who become diasporans. So in my own work, I talk about, of course, the historic African diasporas and the, the new African diasporas. Mm-hmm. And then when you look at the historic ones also, what you are finding is that there are different uh, histories of these diasporas in different parts of the world. Mm-hmm. So, for example, for Asia, which, uh, which means uh, mostly from Eastern Africa, mm-hmm. the diasporas in uh, Asia have been there for a very, very long time. So when I was doing my research, for example, I went to India, and there are these uh, you know, populations, uh, they, they call them the cities, um, who you know originate from Eastern Africa and they've been there for hundreds and hundreds of years, uh, so they are much older than the diasporas in the Americas. Yeah. And then of course you also have the diasporans in Europe, mm-hmm. the historic diasporas. The history of Africans in Europe goes thousands of years, uh, including Britain, by the way, um, and and of course the Mediterranean region yeah. and so on. Uh, and then the Americas, the, this is historically the most recent. Okay. Because uh, th- that's really formed in the last 500 years. Okay. Um, so even for the historic diasporas, there are different uh, histories and uh, different geographies. So I tend to talk of the Afro-Asian, uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, sorry, the, uh, um, the Indian Ocean diasporas, the Mediterranean o- uh, Ocean diasporas, and mm-hmm. the Atlantic diasporas. So Afro-Asia, Afro-Europe, and Afro-America. Interesting. I think if one thing I would say, if people want to know more about that, uh, the, your book, um, so I'm forgetting the title right now, unfortunately, <laughs> but I've been reading this book. It's mm-hmm. when you did the journey mm-hmm. across mm-hmm. the world, pretty much, mm-hmm. finding mm-hmm. the diaspora. Please remind me the name. Yeah. I feel bad. Um, in, search, in search of African diaspora. Yes. Uh, encounters and testimonies. Yes. That's, yes, that's, yes. So it's a pretty... Uh, you kept a diary of mm-hmm. meeting this different right. uh, people of African descent, mm-hmm. and uh, th- their stories were very telling. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, I'm still reading this book. I think I'm page <laughs> yes. four hundred at this all point. Right, all right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so um, that thing on that you said something about that we have to change professionally and personally when mm-hmm. we move mm-hmm. to to the new lands that we end up in. It doesn't have to be the U.S. or Canada, right, right, other right, places right. We, people have been to. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me tell me an example. Like, what surprised you? What were memorable mm-hmm. times, not right. so memorable times right, with your journey? Right. Yeah, I, th- I think what, uh, you know, surprised me, which probably surprised a lot of people, yeah, when you move particularly to the Western world, you know, North America and uh, even Europe, mm-hmm. uh, is the ignorance about Africa. Yes. They, you know, um, sometimes they even 
talk about Africa <laughs> as if it's one country. Yeah. Uh, and uh, all the stereotypes that you hear about Africa. Yeah. Uh, you know, I remember as a, a, a graduate student in Canada, uh, people say, you know, wondering whether you actually live in houses and, and stuff like that. So we used to joke and say, no, 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 we, we live in trees. And uh, When was that? Oh, this is in the 70s. So you would tell them, yeah, we live in trees and when your prime minister came to visit, we put him in a tall tree. <laughs> You know, just to make it fun of it, because it's like crazy. Why don't you know that these are countries with, uh, you know, infrastructure yeah. and, and all that, uh, you know, people, you know, lead lives that are normal. So that that uh, ignorance about Africa, you know, can be quite uh, surprising initially. Yeah. And then you begin to understand, of course, it's rooted in the kinds of representations of Africa mm -hmm. that people uh, see in the media, uh, as well as, of course, sometimes even uh, read in school books whenever Africa is covered, yeah. if at all. If, if at all. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because I'm not kidding. In 2017, mm -hmm. I had a co of mine ask me, so do you guys live with lions? You know, <laughs> And I, I cannot believe that question came from mm -hmm. someone who is very learned right, to begin right, with because right, right. not only is a co-worker, is one of my bosses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you know, so I think it's it's the say that yeah, we all yeah. get to that point, of like get to that point, and we're like, mm -hmm, are, mm -hmm. are you serious? Right, right, uh, right, you don't right. have another way of kind of researching mm -hmm. this information. Right, right, right. Um, what's so memorable? Well, a Good lot. Time. Yeah, yeah, a lot is memorable. Obviously, the opportunity to uh, you know learn, get an education with people from not only the country in which you find yourself, obviously, mm -hmm. but also people from different parts of the world, including yeah. different parts of Africa. Yes. That in itself was extremely powerful, and you begin to see yourself uh, in more Pan-African terms, mm -hmm. which I think is a very empowering. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, so that, that, that's been, uh, uh, for me, very inspiring to, to see the diversity, but also the commonality of our historical and contemporary experiences yeah. as, as Africans and people of African descent. That's true, because I think talking with African-Americans and people from Africa, mm -hmm. we tend to share some common things. They're mm -hmm. like, oh, that mm -hmm. happened to you. Mm -hmm. You know, I would mm -hmm. say a good example is our, our parenting is more strict. Mm -hmm. uh, that's something like, oh, I mm -hmm. did not know that you, you know you guys experienced mm -hmm. the same mm -hmm. thing as mm -hmm. we did, and mm -hmm. not only the you know West Africa, Southern Africa, mm -hmm. Africa mm -hmm. even African Americans. Like right, oh right. Uh, yeah, so it it mm -hmm. comes to mm -hmm. all black mothers are right, not to be right, played right. with. Yes, yes, right, right. No right. matter where in the mm -hmm. world, mm -hmm. um, that's interesting. Um, the, what about what is or not not memorable? Like something you'd like to just you know wish uh, to forget. Well, you know, <laughs> the, the experience. That I think all of us have in our lives that you, you, you'd like to forget. You know, the challenges of resettlement yeah. you know, can be very, very taxing um, and, uh, you know, sometimes very unpleasant. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, that's, but those, those are challenges that you even meet in your own country because we are always transitioning to something else. Yeah. Uh, and that's part of, uh, you know, human development, human growth. Uh, you're not what uh, you were in your teens compared to your 20s and your 30s. So, you know, I think it's at one level it's part of just growing up and, uh, you know, the kinds of experiences you may have at work, mm -hmm. uh, in school, where you're being looked down upon uh, yeah. because you are, you, you're somebody from Africa, you're supposed not to be smart and you're not supposed to be I in know. these uh, top universities. You know, the, the, some of the negative experiences, even as a professional, mm -hmm. is that you're always being interviewed. 
because you're not supposed to be in that space. So I remember very distinctly, uh, distinctly one time I was uh, in, you know, the university in Canada, in Ontario. I was the principal of the, the college. And, uh, do, you know, we had uh, the freshman students moving in, you know, uh, before, of course, the rest of the uh, students came back. Mm -hmm. So this young man uh, sees me walking in the corridors in the college and uh, says, you, uh, can you uh, come, my room, the lights are not working. I need that fixed. And it, oh, took no. me, it took me, you know, sort of a long second to realize what was going on. He assumed I was the plumber. I was the worker oh my goodness. Uh, in, in the building. And uh, I, I just said, oh, okay, don't worry. I'll get, uh, I'll get it fixed for you. Yeah. And of course, uh, you know, after he left, I... I uh, you sent called, someone else. Yeah, I sent yeah. somebody to do that. And then in that evening, we were hosting a dinner yeah. for the new students and their parents. And as it happened, this young man and his parents were in the front row. And I was on the desk with my team. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, of course, uh, I was sitting there. And then somebody, you know, comes to introduce me to say, oh, now it's time for the principal to talk to us. And this young man, I just looked straight at him. He almost fell off his chair. And, and it's, it's a moment of learning on, the, on his part. Yeah. But it, it underscores how even, if, you know, as a professional and sometimes in very high positions, you are doubted all the time. You're not supposed to be in that in space. In that space. And, and that's both unpleasant, but you also have the last laugh. The, well, that's true. That you, you do. But I think, I, I sometimes probably for me, it's mm -hmm. really hard to get over. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, that yeah, I feel yeah. like there's a glass ceiling mm -hmm, somewhere. I don't mm -hmm, know what mm -hmm, it is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that I need to prove myself all the right, time. Right, 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 right. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, and, and that's an experience African-Americans will tell you. You have to be twice as good. You have to work twice as much. Yes. And then uh, if you're coming from the continent, which is not even <laughs> supposed to have that kind of cultural, social capital, you have to work uh, really, even really hard harder. to make it. Yeah. And, and that can be very stressful. I'm glad you brought up the African-American experience because they already know this. How can us as new immigrants or mm -hmm. new diasporans, mm -hmm. so to mm -hmm. say, um, in integrate with them, interact, because mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. we get here and there is a segregation mm -hmm. that, that's mm -hmm. there. We don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. oh, mm -hmm. Actually, probably we do. There, there is that notion that we socially we cannot really mix. Mm -hmm. It takes a mm -hmm. while for mm -hmm. us to trust each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, tell me the history of that, because I know you're very familiar about that. Right, how right, how right. can we overcome mm -hmm. that? I think the history of that uh, is, is fairly deep. Uh, one, of course, it goes to what I said earlier. We don't learn enough about each other yeah. in, our, in our textbooks uh, in school. And then uh, secondly, a lot of us um, on both sides, there are a lot of stereotypes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, A lot of Africans coming here have internalized the stereotype that African-Americans uh, into drugs and all that kind of stuff, uh, when in fact the vast majority of African Americans are middle class and above. Yeah. Uh, and then on the other side, uh, of course, Africans are perceived as these ignorant people and, and so on and so forth. So the stereotypes, and they've been fed by you know, the trafficking of images mm -hmm. that uh, we don't control in terms of the media. Yeah. So we, we, we meet each other with those uh, you know, sort of uh, stereotypes. But besides that, is that um, you know, there's a brilliant film uh, documentary by, you know, Kenyan-American uh, filmmaker, Perez Owino, called Bound, Africans versus African-Americans. Mm -hmm. Both communities 
have had you know uh, historic traumas um you know on, on the african american side you know the enslavement jim crow and so on yeah uh, and then on the african side of course uh, the atlantic slave trade which left a lot of damage on our societies and colonialism yeah and traumatized people sometimes take it out on each other okay and uh we 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 have not been able uh, it seems to me to transcend that now in order to transcend that certainly the burden uh, is on the new African immigrants to make it their point mm -hmm. to really understand the history yeah. of this country and the fundamental role that African Americans have played in building what is America. Yeah. We always assume America means whiteness. No, no. Uh, um, uh, African Americans are integral to, you know, they built this economy, they built this society. They are the ones who really fought to make sure that democracy is given meaning yeah uh, because obviously democracy is, was not something that was just declared from day one it is something that african americans had to fight for which led to other you know movements for freedom including of course uh, women's rights gay rights and so on and so forth and we sometimes forget to know that history yeah and uh, many of us are uh, you know sort of bamboozled by the stories that we have heard and some of us are sponsored by white organizations yeah. uh, and forgetting that in fact we are coming to these universities precisely because of the struggles for African Americans uh, which opened doors in terms of immigration law Yes, from the mid-1960s. Mm -hmm. A lot of the migrants from Africa since that time is because of immigration law. That was a product of the changes in the political economy of this country which came out of the civil rights movement and, and the struggles by African Americans. So the burden is on us to make sure that we understand the, 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 that history, yeah. that uh, the doors that are being opened to us in all these industries, in all these universities, in all these sectors, are a product of struggles by African Americans. True. Actually, one of the things I know and I've told some of my friends is we, the, how we succeed here mm -hmm. is on the shoulders of African Americans right. and the work right. they've done. So right. I remember when I first came to the US, it's a very mm -hmm. funny story. Mm -hmm. um, I was my thing, my second or third day mm -hmm. in class. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was fourth or third day in the US mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. I was very early on. And they were, it was a sociology class and they're talking about affirmative action. Mm -hmm. And I was the only black kid in class. Yes. Yes. And I did not know what was affirmative action because you know mm -hmm. one of the things i know mm -hmm. when you come from 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 kenya from africa wherever you're coming from mm -hmm. you don't know you're black until you get here yes right yes. so yes. i did yes. not know any of that mm -hmm. so i mm -hmm. raised up my hand to say what is affirmative action and everybody looks and at everybody you, was like so you don't know what it's precisely made for you yes. you know yeah, right, um right, and right. most africans coming here mm -hmm. probably now they mm -hmm. have more uh, information about right, that right, but right a ton of us did not know mm -hmm, that, mm -hmm, or don't know mm -hmm, that, mm -hmm. that the terminology defined here, right. we are benefiting. We are beneficiaries. We are beneficiaries those yeah. of those struggles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So exactly. Yeah. And not knowing can be actually deadly to your very life. Uh, you know, I can give you an example. When I was at the University of Illinois, I was the director of um, the Center for African Studies there from the mid-90s uh, to the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was this absolutely tragic uh, event that took place uh, in which uh, a young man, mm -hmm. uh, he had just finished his PhD, 
and uh, went to a bar, you know, not too far from the campus. Mm -hmm. Of course, the bar didn't say we are redneck bar, but it was a redneck bar. So he went there, and uh, you know, he, he was with his girlfriend, and they told him, you can't get in, the bouncers, and he insisted. Mm -hmm. So they started beating him up. And of course, the other students, you know, uh, white students uh, from the campus were there. They just watched this uh, poor black guy being beaten up. And uh, the police station was just a hundred um, yards away. And, uh, you know, nobody really bothered to call them until, you know, uh, quite late. By the time this boy, uh, this young man, uh, was taken wow. to the hospital, mm -hmm. uh, he arrived at the hospital dead. And I used to use that story uh, to talk to new African students, yeah. to say that if you want to be safe in this country, you may want to actually fraternize with African Americans, because your life may depend on that. They will let you know which spaces are safe and which ones are not for you as a black person. Um, wow. So, you know, it's not just a question of <laughs> knowing to appreciate the fact that uh, we, are, we, are, we are, you know, riding on their shoulders in terms of their struggles. Yeah. But your very, um, you know, um, safety and security may depend on that. And, and we all know about the shootings, you know, uh, Amadi Diallo that happened in New York. Mm -hmm. uh, who, who, who was protesting on, their, on, on his behalf? You know, people like the Reverend R. Sharpton yeah. and the African-American community. Yeah. We are stronger together then we are separate. Yeah, that's, that's, that's very true. Actually, we might talk about that. A another question for you. Mm -hmm. um, you you've, I would say, successfully brought up your daughter in Canada and in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, how was that like? Because I know parents today were, were mm -hmm. really struggling mm -hmm. with bringing mm -hmm. this kid out the week. Right. Talk right. about identity. Right. Are you African? Are you American? Mm -hmm. You know, so yeah, how yeah. has it been for you? How was it for you? Right. How it's, did you... It's an absolutely <laughs> fascinating experience. Yeah. And of course, uh, both, you know, exhilarating as a parent, of course, you love bringing your kids, but also challenging. Yeah. Um, so the, when, when, when she was young, uh, you know, of course, she would come to the house uh, sometimes with her uh, friends, and the friends would say, oh, your dad is not from here, he's from Africa. He has a cool accent, meaning, of course, a strange accent. <laughs> uh, and, and my daughter was, uh, you know, you know, she loved the fact that people say cool. Mm -hmm. But uh, as she grew up, she began to realize that she has, you know, at, at the very least, two identities. Yes. One, she is uh, a kid of, of this society. So mm -hmm. she's, in that case, African-Canadian. And mm -hmm. when we moved here, uh, part of the African-American community. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, she's also a member uh, of the, you know, she, uh, of the new African diaspora. Yeah. So she's struggling those two spaces because within yeah. the house, mm -hmm. um, you know, my, the way I'm going to bring up, uh, her up and talk to her and, and all that is influenced by you know, the fact that I, I grew up in Africa. Yeah. I grew up in Malawi. Yeah. And, um, and, and this became particularly sensitive when she was a teenager, uh, trying bet. to date. Uh, <laughs> I, remember, I remember. We don't date when we're teenagers. No. No. Uh, so she's like, so she's, you know, uh, and my wife uh, being African American, for my wife it was like, what's the problem? Yeah. Uh, and then I would say to her, no, 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 I don't think so. And then she, was, she would say, but dad, you're in America. Uh, you're not in Africa. I said, this house is Africa. <laughs> but. <laughs> but you know, but what that got me to to you know bringing up actually is when I started getting interested in understanding the diaspora condition. Yeah. 
okay. my study of the diaspora in terms of scholarship was really driven by trying to understand my own wife mm -hmm. and trying to understand my daughter mm -hmm. and trying to understand myself. That's how I got into diaspora studies. Wow. Because I said, you know, she's not born and brought up where I was born and brought up. True. In any case, even in our own countries, each generation is different. It's different. So yeah. why am I trying to assume? Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> that she's going to be, she would want to be... Uh, uh, brought up like me, so we had very fascinating conversations about her identity. Okay. So when you know, when we were in Canada, um, you know she would she she began of course to talk of herself as uh, African Canadian. Mm -hmm. Then of course when we came to the United States, the issue became okay she's African Canadian, um, and that identity she valued. And then, but there is this other identity called African American. Mm -hmm. So she started calling herself uh, African North American. Oh, to merge to both identities. Yes, both identities. Yeah. And I found that absolutely fascinating. And it, it reminded me of the work that, um, you know, uh, Al Mazrui uh, did, or, the, you know, one of the, his, uh, his uh, analysis talking about the, the differences between uh, what he called African Americans and American Africans. So my daughter will be an American African in that terminology, meaning the, the children of either one parent who is from the continent or both parents are from the continent. Mm -hmm. And they are really struggling, those two spaces. And he argued, and I agree with him, that they are really the bridge builders between the historic diaspora uh, and the new diaspora. The new diaspora. Because they're in both worlds. Yeah. And if you look now, there is absolutely brilliant writing that is taking place by this generation. Okay. You know, there is this book, for example, by uh, uh, yeah, Jesse, um, who wrote uh, this uh, novel called uh, Homecoming, about uh, two sisters, one who was enslaved and, 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 and one who remained on the continent, uh, you know, presumably what is today Ghana, mm -hmm. and the history of their families on both sides for the next 250 years. It's brilliantly done. Now. That kind of novel could only be written yes. by somebody who is struggling with those, with those two identities. Yeah. yeah, and wow. there is a whole range of these young authors, uh, as well as of course other artists and intellectuals and so on, who are really seeing, um, you know, who, whose work is bridging those two worlds. Yeah, you know, it's complicated, contradictory, and and uh, and all that. But but really, in my view, it's our hope that our you know the bridges it's, between it's the you know the uh, between the um, the two sides of the Atlantic will be narrowed. That's good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that because mm -hmm. I think I can now recommend books. I'll go search this books. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I can recommend it to parents because I know their mm -hmm. parents were like, I mm -hmm. I'm losing my child. You well, know, but I don't think you're child. losing. No, you're not, you, yes. you, you don't lose anything. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I think you get enriched. You're not losing. Yeah. You know, the, the child forces you to grow expand your horizons forces you to think more about your own identity yeah. because you're no longer there no, whatever the there is yeah and you're no longer there and you also are making adjustments and in a lot of ways it's it's a parenting relationship that is probably much richer than might be you know back in your own uh, homeland yeah. because or, 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 although even in your homeland you learn from your kids mm -hmm. here you are even in learning a lot more yeah. about the society yeah. so they're going to schools where they're tracked so you begin to understand really what racism is yeah 
when you came in, you may have been successful already, finished your schooling and all that kind of stuff. And even if you are a student, your student experience is not the same as actually uh, at college level as having gone through primary yeah. and secondary here, yeah. where your kids can be destroyed. Yes. And then you begin to realize the struggles uh, that uh, African Americans and the historic diaspora have, have had to fight yeah. for so long. Yeah. And then, in my case, you begin, to, you know, uh, frankly, to admire them. You know, about yes. their resilience. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I think that is one thing I've taken, I've, 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 I've understood. Um, it's these people. I'm here because of them. Yeah. And I need yeah. to understand that. I get that through mm -hmm. my head, but mm -hmm. also. Mm -hmm. How do I bridge that gap for mm -hmm. the Africans to? Right, to right, right. So w we've talked about this before. That the, mm -hmm. um, one way is to go to the museum in DC, mm -hmm. the African American yes. museum. Yes. I think yes. it takes it tells the story yes. authentically of African Americans right. where right. they be, where, right. where they began and where they mm -hmm. are today, and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how we can be part of that. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It's our history. It is. Because this is a history of our people yeah. uh, who left that continent under very harrowing conditions. They survived and they struggled and they are resilient and they have made enormous achievements. Yeah. You cannot understand anything about the United States, whether you're talking of politics, you're talking of culture, you're talking of the arts, we're talking about the economy mm -hmm. without understanding the enormous contributions of African Americans. Because when you say American music, really, what is it? Jazz, blues, rock and roll, hip hop, soul, you know, gospel. These are heavily, the heavily, heavily yeah. you know, derived or influenced by African American uh, talents yeah. and, and uh, you know, cultural genius and productivity and all that under some of the most difficult conditions. True, true. They, yeah. I feel that, like they say, they had to come up with their own culture. That's right, that's right. That's um, right. In the plantations, mm -hmm. so they can mm -hmm. hold on to each other. That's right. You know, and, uh, and recreate you know, themselves. Yes. And, and these are not simply, you know, sort of... Uh, derived African cultures, yeah. but they're new cultures. It's a new, complete These new culture. These are cr Creole cultures, yeah. in which people from different parts of Africa on the plantation are recreating themselves. Yeah. And in that process, creating new uh, modalities and new modes of cultural expression, whether in the arts or in you know, music, you name it. Yeah. And, and that creativity is, 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 is an incredible story. It is, it is, which can tell, we can get to know more about that. Yeah. So I don't know whether I, I, um, you read Larry Maddow's article mm -hmm. uh, where he argues that Africa is not what you know people think, the hats mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the lions mm -hmm. and like we are so far ahead, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. um, number one, can you talk about that? Number two, can you address how can we make the bridge between Mm -hmm, us mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and what people perceive Africa right, to be. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, the first thing which is, uh, you know, rather sad is that uh, images of Africa have not really changed. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, when, uh, when I teach African, uh, you know, history in terms of images of Africa, you know, in, in the Western world, is that if you took um, stories of Africa, mm -hmm. representations of Africa in the 16th century, and the representation of Africa today, they have not changed mm -hmm. in the last 500 years in terms of the 
you know the images it's it's always you know Africa as less than yes know, whether it's on in terms of the economy in terms of politics in terms of uh, society in terms of culture in terms of even sexuality you are less than uh, and that uh, if so if you took um, you know something written in the say you know 1650s or 1750s about Africa and something written in uh, in the um, 1950s and uh, tw- 2010s mm-hmm. to remove the dates the descriptions are not going to be very different the second thing is that the depictions of Africa are really not necessarily about Africa itself mm-hmm. they are about peoples of African descent in the Americas it was a w- used as a weapon to say oh you're complaining about slavery you're complaining about racism see where you came from they're backward, they're pathological, they're, they're dying from all these diseases. Mm-hmm. So what's your problem? So it was the, the negative depictions of Africa were used to discipline African-descended uh. populations in the Americas, including the United States. So it's a double-edged in the sense that one is, of course, talking about Africa itself, yeah. but also it's a disciplining mechanism for peoples of African descent in the Americas. To your, keep them in line. Keep them in line. But in what they want them to do. Exactly. You come from a backward place. You should be grateful you are here. So w- reporting on Africa Isn't is, that what Trump does? Yes. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and that's what he says. Yeah. You know, go to your shithole country. Yeah. You know? Wow. Uh, you know, when he talked about people in, in Nigeria living in huts. He, it's a it's, long history yeah. of those tropes being used. Reporting on Africa is characterized by what I call the four S's, okay. uh, which is, of course, also tied to uh, you know, media as a whole. Mm-hmm. One is selectivity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, journalists have to select which stories. And typically, is the man-eat-man-bite-dog man narrative. Okay. If a dog bites a man is not a story, but if a man bites a dog, it's going <laughs> to be a story. story. So, you know, you 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 you, you know, you, you, you are selecting stories. Mm-hmm. Secondly is um, sensationalism. Mm-hmm. So, you want to be sensational stories are the ones that sell. And thirdly, it's always stereotypes. And stereotypes aid you in yeah. trying to sort of uh uh understand to digest the news mm-hmm. so if there is a war in africa a conflict uh they will explain it using tropes intertribal warfare and therefore the listener doesn't have to think much uh, you're get you're, you're already you're feeding into the existing images of africa yeah. as in, you know the, these are tribal societies yeah um and then the fourth one is the use of special vocabulary so the same thing I just said now. Yeah. If there is a conflict in Europe, you never hear about it being referred to as intertribal war. Never. It's uh, nationalist conflicts. In Asia, some groups will be, you know, they will use, uh, these are communal conflicts. Africa is the one that reserve, reserved for the term tribe. And what, when you hear tribe, what comes to your mind? It's primitivity. Yeah. It's backwardness. So there is a scale of describing the same phenomena for different countries, different societies, different civilizations, different cultures. And for Africa, the descriptions are always at the bottom. And unfortunately, we ourselves use the same I was just about to ask you, but yes. I think we perpetuate that. Exactly, because 
you know, we have internalized yeah. some of these things so deeply that we are not even aware. So, for example, in, in Kenya, uh, people are always talking about tribes. Yeah, we have 42 uh, tribes. Yeah, and it's like, I tell my students, please don't use that word. It's derogatory. You're demeaning yourself. You know, at wow. most you should talk about ethnic groups. Yeah. Or nations. Communities. Because when you look at our own languages, in my own language, for example, the word for describing uh, a community, whether it's a European community, an Asian community, or an African community, it is the same word yeah. in our own languages. But in English, we have, of course, we use the, you know, the descriptions uh, from English that already have established hierarchies in terms of civilizations. And part of the ways we can handle some of these issues is, A, we ourselves to describe ourselves better and okay. not to describe ourselves through the same tropes that you know, uh, Eurocentric media uh, has and, and scholarship has described us. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it also means, uh, of course, in today's world, uh, with all these multiple media platforms, let's be very loud on these media pl platforms in a positive sense. In a positive sense, yeah. And not reproducing all the stereotypes yeah. uh, of our own uh, societies. Now, it also means that when w in our own interpersonal lives, mm -hmm. when we are friends, and uh, you know, people we are you know workmates, or if you're a teacher, your students, you have to have the courage to correct them, and not allow because a lot of us sometimes we, we just smile and, and let, let it, it go. go. Yeah, that's not enough. If you know, when we I was just, uh, you know I taught here for twenty years, um, if students said certain things, I would correct correct them. But you know, of course, you correct them in in a, you know in a way that is not antagonistic. Mm -hmm. But you correct them, don't allow it. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of us are scared or afraid or shy from protecting we ourselves. Conflict of us. Yes. Like, like we don't yeah. want mm -hmm. this to be a conversation. Yeah. We, we, we don't want it to be difficult. Yes. But is that not a human condition? It is part of a human condition. It's a part of a human condition, but it's also a condition of people who've been traumatized. Okay. It's, you know, people who uh, have been, uh, you know, in, you know the inferiority complexes yeah. among uh, 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 among us are very deep. Yeah, very deep. That's amazing. And you're always trying to run away from yourself yeah. and be the other, the valorized yes. yeah. other, which is whiteness. Yeah, whiteness in terms of even you know skin color. The closer you are. And uh, you, we, we all know about all these skin yeah, bleaching no. yeah, creams and, and so on and so forth. The way you speak English, you know. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's a whole range of registers, mm -hmm. a whole range of uh, sites of being that uh, we are always trying to run away from ourselves. And in that context, you are not going to defend as yeah, vocally, no, you're not going to. that self yeah. that you're trying to run away from. Yeah. Because you need to be authentically you mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to be able to call it out. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly. We, need, we, need, we have a lot of learning. I think we need to mm -hmm. have spaces where we learn that. Right. Because right. I think we, right. over the years, we've learned just how to be the other. Yes, right? exactly. And so exactly. we need to deconstruct that, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. be authentic in who we are, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. stand up for That's it. Right. You know? That's right, that's um, right. I'll give you a very good example. Mm -hmm. um, so... We all go, like the natural hair movement is a big thing. Mm -hmm. Like you know, this is my hair. This is how I grow yes, them on yes, my head. Yes, yes, um, yes. And 
two days ago I saw this um, reporter on TV mm-hmm. with her natural hair mm-hmm. reporting mm-hmm. the news yes. and I did not notice what she was talking about all I noticed was she has her hair right 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 as right, it right. grows you know because yes. we, we're yeah. taught to mm-hmm. straighten it out yes hide that's right. it that's right that's um right. so okay that's mm-hmm. that's i think we need to learn mm-hmm. that we know mm-hmm. we need to have our own right. spaces right. where we right. learn right. to be right. authentic. authentic this is who i am that's right. i'm not gonna mm-hmm. fix it for you that's right you know? yeah exactly that's yeah. a very that's a very good work yeah. you're fixing for the other yeah you're trying to ape the other you're trying to make the other comfortable Yeah. In the process you're very uncomfortable. In the process you're demeaning yourself. yourself yeah. You're denying yourself. Yeah. And somebody who is wounded, because mm-hmm. it's a form of being wounded. Yeah. Wounded people cannot love themselves. And definitely you can't love the other. You have no capacity uh to have what the you know I used to be at a Jesuit school mm-hmm. in in Los Angeles. They used to call it um hospitality mm-hmm. which is radical openness to otherness yeah you have no capacity for that yeah so. if you have no capacity to love yourself uh, you know you 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 are vulnerable yeah it means every little wind blows you away yeah you know so that's why I think it's important for us uh, you know it may sound like some psycho babble but it's true self-love uh, you are the, as the self and you and your community mm-hmm. uh, is extremely important because then you can deal with the world from a position of strength yeah and actually benefit mm-hmm. in a truly meaningful way mm-hmm. from engaging with otherness yeah instead of simply absorbing otherness to dissolve yourself yeah yeah we have we have some way to go yeah. we have yeah. some way to go um, something else I know is we are very passionate about it's um beyond remittances mm-hmm. you know how can we be of use to the to the continent to build in the continent and our, yes. and our particular <clears throat> countries mm-hmm. you know uh is say before the you know life is happening mm-hmm. the people mm-hmm. really want to be part of it mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. they you know they're raising kids here mm-hmm. they have thriving careers here mm-hmm. and moving like you know leaving a career here to mm-hmm. go and do mm-hmm. it in wherever you are in Africa mm-hmm. can be mm-hmm. disruptive right, sure, you know sure, sure. and kind of set you back mm-hmm. but, but they still want to participate right beyond we'll come to professors because yes, sure, sure, we'll sure. come to that because I know that <laughs> is your like mm-hmm. uh, uh, expertise right. uh, you're doing it right now yes, yes. yeah right of course, of course yeah. so other professionals mm-hmm. doctors mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. journalists mm-hmm. you know finance mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. executives like right, how, right, how can right. we do that yeah so maybe one could start by saying that diaspora contributions to Africa mm-hmm. have been and will continue to be multi-dimensional mm-hmm. so they are political contributions their economic contributions their cultural contributions their social contributions and of course one could go on and on mm-hmm. on the political front you Uh, we all know that the pan-africanist movement that gave birth to the nationalist movements mm-hmm. was born in the diaspora because the diasporans were the people who through the their historical circumstances were the first ones to be forced to think of themselves as Africans transcending their ethnicity mm. and transcending their particular region and so on and so forth so it's not by accident that pan-africanism started in the diaspora and your you know sort of uh, early generation of African nationalists the Kenyatas the Krumas the Bandas you name it they were socialized 
into the politics of Pan-Africanism. And then they became, of course, the nationalists to liberate Africa. Mm -hmm. So, it, it, you know, when you th start thinking of it in that way, you begin to realize that it's not a question of necessarily moving back. Because the diaspora, the historic diaspora, did not leave the countries w which they had built, mm -hmm. helped to build. Mm -hmm. uh, they still contributed mm -hmm. very profoundly in terms of the liberation of Africa, mm -hmm. including the end of apartheid. You know, the role that the Trans-Africa played in terms of sanctioning South Africa and so on and so forth. Yeah. So, uh, and then of course the contemporary diaspora, the new diaspora, can also be, you know, contributing to the to the continent in terms of struggles for democracy. Okay. Uh, by being absolutely uncompromisingly intolerant of dictatorships on the continent yeah. and not defend them and support movements on the continent that are, you know, struggling for opening political space yeah. for democratization. Yeah. On the economic front, obviously everybody talks about remittances, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, in my view is, 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 is of course important, you know, in fact, uh, the remittances to Africa, uh, uh, you know, the largest source of quote-unquote, um, you know, uh, foreign exchange or, uh, the, the investment, investment FDI, FDI <laughs> yeah. it's, it's in fact it's the largest donor yeah. uh, to Africa. You know, last year or rather 2017, the African diaspora remitted you know 69.5 uh, billion dollars. Uh, For some countries, this can be as much as five percent of GDP. Wow. Uh, you know, Kenya was about two two billion and so on, yeah. uh, which helps these economies. But even more important, uh, I think, for the future, and this is already beginning to happen, is in, in, in direct investment. Mm -hmm. uh, Nigeria floated, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, um, uh, an investment instrument, uh, uh, a bond, uh, two years ago, uh, for three hundred fifty million dollars. It was oversubscribed. And I think as we move forward, we need to start thinking more, less about remittances because mm -hmm. remittances are really for consumption. Yeah. Uh, but in, you know, investment and more diasporans are, of course, investing. And then the other thing is the philanthropy. So, if, to you, to go back to my daughter, for example, mm -hmm. when there is a crisis that she is about you know, her father's country, mm -hmm. uh, her connection to that country is not as direct as mine. Mm -hmm. Me, I know where my grandmother is, where my whatever is. Mm -hmm. I can send them money mm -hmm. for the second generation and of course for the historic diaspora mm -hmm. they will then support philanthropic organizations okay it's not you know so that area is also i think increasingly important and then um, you know finally for me which is even more important is the what i call intellectual remittances mm -hmm. the, the 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 talents and yeah. the skills and the social capital that the diaspora has built uh, we need to utilize that for africa's own good mm -hmm. so uh, you know i like to give one figure uh, both on this, you know, sort of social uh, capital, but also financial capital. Mm -hmm. If you take African Americans, mm -hmm. their collective, um, you know, purchasing power, at least in 2017, according to some data, is between 1.2, 1.3 trillion dollars. If they were a country, they'll be the world's 17th richest country. The collective uh, purchasing power of African Americans is higher than the economies of South Africa, Nigeria, and um, Egypt combined. Wow. Africa's total uh, GDP um, then in 2017 was about 2.2, 2.3 trillion. So the, this is 1.2 billion people with 2.3. 
44 million with 1.3. So tapping into these huge resources yeah. of the diaspora in terms of investment, in terms of social capital, in terms of uh, cultural capital is enormous. Uh, on the cultural front, again, the contribution doesn't mean you're going back. Mm -hmm. So when we look at African music today, mm -hmm. from rumba to, to, to hip hop um, across the continent, these are musics that have uh, circulated between Africa and the diaspora. Mm -hmm. They have their African origins, mm -hmm. and then they were reworked, redeveloped, transformed by the diaspora experience, yeah. and they come back to the continent. Okay. So that's circulation. Yeah. So I don't see contribution as necessarily physically moving back. Okay. It's this circulation. Okay. Circulation of intellectual capital, circulation of cultural capital, circulation of social capital. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we should not look at, uh, you know, the old uh, ways of talking about uh, you know, migrants and uh, diasporans was in terms of uh, brain drain. Mm -hmm. And then later on, people started talking about brain gain. Gain. For me, it's not even about that. It's brain circulation. Okay. So for me is the circulation let's make sure that the circulation is as effective as possible which means on the african side mm -hmm. make it easy make it easy yeah for that circulation to take place yeah which means even um you know citizenship law yeah make it easy for people to circulate of african descent uh, whether they are you know historic diasporas or the new diasporas um and make it easy for them to invest in fact give them preferential treatment they're your people. Mm. You know, so that's, the, that's a interesting thought. Yeah, yeah. The AU, uh, you know, declared in two thousand and four mm -hmm. that the diaspora is Africa's sixth region. Nice sounding words, but give that meaning, give that teeth, give it representative power. Yeah. What does that mean? Are they going to get involved in you know besides one or two bodies of the AU? Yeah. Are they involved where the real decisions are? Are they going to be involved in voting in African countries? Yeah. So, wow. We were just talking about how diaspora can mm -hmm. can mm -hmm. can participate. I don't I don't like to say give back. Right. Because right. give back feels like yeah, being charitable. It, it, exactly. The missionary yeah. mentality. Yeah. So yes, participate. Yeah. Participate. Is, yeah. 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 I, I think, frankly, every profession mm -hmm. that people are engaged in, whether it's medicine, it's engineering. It's teaching, it's religion. Mm -hmm. it, it, it really doesn't matter. Um, the opportunities to participate are there. Okay. Uh, and the participation, of course, takes different forms. Uh, one is uh, the fact that, you know, diasporans, you know, participate as individuals. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can go, um, you know, participate in whatever your area. And that already happens. And you see a lot of... Um, you know, through either school associations, ethnic associations, professional associations, national associations, mm -hmm. they can become a conduit in addition to individual initiatives yeah. through which you, you know, uh, exercise uh, that uh, participation. Mm -hmm. um, and the other one is, of course, uh, you know, participation through the uh, African um, organizations that exist on the continent. Uh, and uh, spreading their wings to 
the countries or the diaspora. Mm-hmm. And that ranges from, of course, uh, government organizations, mm-hmm. you know, like embassies and, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. The AU, to, you know, to move from, you know, the AU has an office here, for example, in the United States. Yeah. So, and then, of course, civil society mm-hmm. organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are in a civil society organization dealing with environmental issues, for mm-hmm. example, mm-hmm. in the United States, mm-hmm. uh, you know there are also civil society organizations dealing with, uh, uh, you know, environmental issues on the continent. Yeah. And you know, so to find touch points, okay, in terms of organizations, yeah, that are already part of your activities here, mm-hmm. uh, and then find ways of building complementarities and yeah. connections yeah. and uh, you know engagements uh, so uh, because if you do things that you're already doing here then you won't go there as a missionary true so you have to avoid the missionary mentality, mentality. Uh, the the donor uh, you know aid mentality yeah the donor complex yeah that you're going there to save these people you're not going to serve anybody. Yeah. They already know what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, they want partnership. Partnerships. You know, they are, you know, they are, there is paternalistic partnerships <laughs> and, uh, you know, partnerships that is truly based on solidarity. Mm-hmm. And a partnership based on solidarity means you're also fighting for those issues where you are. Yeah. And therefore, the language and the modality of partnership becomes really deep. Yeah. Because it's not doing it for them. You're also doing it here yeah. and you both benefit. You both learn from each other. I think that is the most, um, like the most important way you've said that we can partner mm-hmm. uh, with other civil societies in in Africa. Because uh, I think we always think of, um, I will start my own thing over here mm-hmm. and then I'll go do it over yes, there. That's right. But if I join a civil society here, yeah, I'm doing right. that that's thing right. here. That's right. When I reach out mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. A, a, the same organization or a similar organization right, out right, back in right, Africa, right, right, right. it's at that point it's partnership. Mm-hmm. It, it, exactly. I'm doing this. Mm-hmm, how mm-hmm. can we partner right, and right, make right. make your work easier where mm-hmm. you are That's right. or richer where you right, are? You right, know, right, in, right. in no way am I saying, mm-hmm. "Oh, I have I have it all." Right, because you don't. You do not. You do not. Yeah. What can yeah. I give you? My, you know. No. Yeah. That so that that's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. I I think that civil society. I think that's something mm-hmm. I'm gonna mm-hmm. use a lot going forward. Right. Civil societies join one and mm-hmm. partner mm-hmm. with something going happening in your particular country, uh, or anywhere in Africa. Right. It doesn't have to be your. In home. fact, I would say yeah, it should not be focused on your country of yeah. origin. Yeah, it can be anywhere. The historic diaspora does it anywhere on the continent. Yeah. Uh, of course, those of us who are new, like us, of course, you we think of your country. Like... But, but I think you should go beyond that. Because okay. sometimes you may not be able to, to f- even physically go to your country. Yeah. You may have left as a result of war. Yeah. And, uh, and th- those conflicts are still there. Mm-hmm. Or you may have left because of uh, political repression, you are in detention, you are imprisoned, and all that kind of stuff. And th- th- those conditions may still be there. Yeah. So do you give up on the whole continent? Of course not. No. You go where you can still make a contribution. Yeah. You know, right now I'm in Kenya. I'm not Kenyan. Yeah. But, uh, no, you're Kenyan, but fine. Uh, well, I'm Kenyan. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it's it's uh, you know wherever you can operate. Yeah. You know, do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that that can be done on an individualistic point or mm-hmm. as a group. But one thing that I, um, my observation, mm-hmm. and it could be I've not seen everything, so it could mm-hmm. be very limited mm-hmm. observation, is we do not like to organize. Right. 
as right. Africa, as, right. as the right. new right. diaspora right. Africa. Mm-hmm. We don't like to organize mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. to effect change. Because right. the things, if we spoken with one voice, right. people pay attention, right. Right. but right. we do right. not. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. Any thoughts about that? Yes, I think one of the reasons is that, uh, of course, the new diasporas, a lot of us are engaged in the challenges of day-to-day life. Yeah. Uh, but we sometimes in that absorption with those you know existential issues, you forget that actually your condition would be even better if you were part of a collective effort yeah. to improve conditions right here. Yeah. In fact, I urge people who you know um, have been here for some time mm-hmm. uh, that part of your greatest contribution can be by participating in social activism in where wherever you are, not even just with other Africans, mm-hmm. but, you know, the trade unions, the women's groups, environmental groups, religious groups in the United States, if you're in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, by participating in those things, you're also creating conditions, A, for improvement of your own community, yeah. uh, but B, you are also in a position to... Uh, be part of a political process that can expand the agendas mm-hmm. of these groups mm-hmm. towards your own ancestral continent. Yeah. So uh, one of the ways in which the those of us who are academics mm-hmm. uh, in North America or Europe or whatever can contribute to Africa is, of course, uh, through um, making engagements with African institutions. So the yeah. Carnegie African Diaspora Fellowship Program, which was established in 2013 mm-hmm. out of a research project I conducted on African-born academics in Canada and the U.S., mm-hmm. seeks to do precisely that, mm-hmm. in which we provide fellowships for African-born academics to engage uh, with academics, uh, academic institutions in six countries, Ghana, Nigeria, Uganda, Kenya, Tanzania, and South Africa, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of curriculum development, collaborative research, and graduate student training. Mm-hmm. And now this program is going to be expanded into what we're calling the Consortium of African Diaspora Scholars programs, in which we'll not just focus on the African-born, mm-hmm. but all African diasporas, African-Americans, uh, Afro, Afro-Brazilians, you know, the Afro-French, the Black British, you name it. Okay. And it will not be confined to the six countries, but uh, to the entire continent. Okay. And it will not just be covering working with universities, but also working with the private sector, okay. working with uh, community organizations, you know, because this is an enormous, enormous, um, you know, asset for Africa in terms of brain power, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, intellectual, quote-unquote, remittances. Mm-hmm. It's not confined to academics, okay. uh, although we are giving the scholars angle, okay. because, you know, we want to make sure that it's, it's, it's a transfer of skills that are tied to... Okay you know, sort of research skills, you know, um, you know, uh, skills that uh, universities are known for. Yeah. And as we know, universities in the United States or Canada or Britain and elsewhere, universities work very closely with the private sector. Yeah. You know, the top ones. You yeah. Know, work very closely with civil society mm-hmm. as part of enhancing their own work, mm-hmm. but also, quote-unquote, participating mm-hmm. in the activities, whether it's in terms of designing new products and new services. So we want to make sure that that partnership okay. extends beyond simply going to a campus and teach yeah. or you know, collaborate with somebody to write a paper yeah. or, or to you know, mentor and uh, uh, train graduate students, okay. but you are affecting society at large. Mm-hmm. And as you also know, uh, is that uh, the investors, the really good investors, always bring in people from industry, from the civil society, 
to interact with students to make sure that this becomes a much more you know broad based okay. uh, enterprise. And the aim is to uh, we you know to um, at a minimum to mobilize one thousand diasporans uh, every year uh, to work in, in these uh, African countries uh, for the next ten years. So it's called the Ten Ten Program, and this was endorsed at the first. African Higher Education Summit, which was held in Dakar in 2015, okay. uh, in which um, um, you know uh, it was the, the first uh, higher education summit, and uh, we with you know the issues: how do we ensure that the educational sector, mm -hmm. uh, higher education specifically, uh, can uh, play a role in the implementation realization of Agenda 2063 mm -hmm. of the African Union, mm. you know, because of course. Uh, you know, all sectors have to play a role. Yeah. Uh, what is the role of the higher education sector? Yeah. And that, um, you know, was um, one of the eight priorities in the action plan okay. of the uh, that summit. And uh, what we are doing in creating this consortium, which has been incorporated in Kenya and registered here as a five one c not for profit organization, mm -hmm. is now to uh, implement that okay. vision okay. Uh, from the. Uh, summit of 2015. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for Thank giving you. me your time. It was a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. I really yeah. appreciate it. I, I, I really do hope that um, people just get to learn something.